Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Through education, motivation, and implementation, we will bridge the gap between knowing and doing so we can master fat loss naturally and help you reach your highest potential. Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am Elizabeth Benton, and I apologize if I'm a little huffy-puffy and out of breath. I was outside in the heat and the sun working on some of the research and the science and the data for today's geeked out episode on the coconut oil controversy and saturated fat and all that stuff. And I ran back in here, and I was racing around doing a bunch of things. And then the second I hit record, I was like, I'm really hot and thirsty, so we're just going to do it. I, I was too excited because I love this stuff, and I think it's really fascinating, and I know there are so many questions about it. I have gotten so many emails this week about, did you read about coconut oil and people are saying it's bad? What do you think? So I sent out an email to my VIP list. I'm going to dive deeper into it today. Before we do that, want to remind you, very, very, very important, registration for the Summer Fat Loss Fast Track is now open, but it probably will only be open for a few more days. If you want more information, it's a 12-week program, all the details, how it works, what it takes, how much it costs. You can listen to either episode 352, which I will link to in the show notes, or you can go over to primalpotential.com forward slash summer 17 forward slash summer 17. And there will be lots of information there. I will link to both of those places in the show notes over at primalpotential.com. But it will probably only be open for a few more days. So hop to it. Get on it. But for today, we are talking about coconut oil and saturated fat. I would guess that many of you, if not most of you, have seen lots of coconut oil-related headlines on social media, in the news in the past couple weeks. And, I mean, like headlines are meant to do, they're sensational because they want you to click on them. Some of the headlines were, coconut oil isn't healthy and it never was healthy. And then another was, wait, coconut oil isn't healthy? And then one of my favorites was, so the world just fell out of love with coconut oil. But at the same time, there was also, yes, coconut oil is still healthy and it's always been healthy. I know that can create a lot of confusion and my goal is to clear it up today. For those of you that are on my free VIP email list, if you're not, why not? I'm fun. But if you are, you saw me address this kind of in a shorthand way this past Sunday. I gave you a little bit of the backstory on where these uh, headlines came from. That's what I want to do today. Explain the controversy, the myths and the facts. There's so much misunderstanding and that's what we're going to spend our time doing. Even though we will geek out a little bit and get to the science, I promise there will be a bottom line. And I want to start with one of the primary takeaways right off the bat. And that is Do not waste your energy any longer being frustrated that there are different and conflicting opinions 
That's the way the world works, especially as opinions change, right? We cannot argue that the scientific and health communities are changing their stance on fat and cholesterol. Back just a couple years ago in 2015, the dietary guidelines put forth by the U.S. government dropped their hard limit on the amount of cholesterol we should not exceed in a day. Yeah, they still suggested to watch your cholesterol intake, but they dropped that hard and fast numeric limit that they had argued for for so long. So stances, opinions, they are changing. And if we go back to when people first started to say, oh, the world is round, not flat, there was contradictory opinion information for hundreds of years. And there was science evidence on both sides. Now, only one was right and one was wrong, but the debate continued for a really long time. That's just the way it is. Don't waste your energy being frustrated because ultimately the great thing about nutrition is that your body is going to give you really clear feedback on what is best for you, how you feel, your energy, your hunger, your cravings, your body composition, etc. And yet we use, oh, I don't know what to do as an excuse to do nothing, which is just crazy. I've been watching the show, this is sort of a random aside, but hey, what the heck, I'm a random girl. I've been watching the show Genius on, I think it's on Nat Geo, the National Geographic Channel, but don't quote me on that. But Genius is a story about Albert Einstein's life. And it is a powerful example of how change, even when based on fact and research, is argued for hundreds of years right? These opinions go back and forth and back and forth. And Einstein's saying, no, 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 here I can prove it. And they're saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. So instead of being frustrated and irritated by the fact that there are conflicting opinions, realize this is life. It's just the way it is. Don't let it bother you, right? Anybody that can put something out on the internet or write a book has the ability to share their own opinion. And there will always be somebody that thinks that they're not right. And I want to get back to, you know, the the research and the facts here, but not without emphasizing again, your body gives you valuable feedback on what works best for you. And so many times these people saying, I don't know if I should eat high fat, low fat, saturated fat, unsaturated fat. They're just not eating well in general anyway. So do what represents an improvement for you now. Chances are you're not even at a point in your diet. We'll call it that. And I don't mean weight loss diet as much as I mean what you eat and how much and when. There are other improvements you can make and are not without even diving into this controversy. So I'm happy to clear it up. But I just want to first say that the people who are often the loudest and most frustrated by the conflicting opinions are the people who know they're overeating and do it anyway, or binge on the weekends, or emotionally eat, or eat lots of processed foods, you've got plenty of work to do without getting stressed out over whether you should be having olive oil or coconut oil, right? I mean, that's just, you guys know I like to approach this podcast from a very common sense stance, and while I have my own opinion and what I will do for my body and what I believe the science backs up, I also pay attention to how my body responds to different things, Ultimately, while I have an opinion for you, if you're still just confused and lost even after I go through some of the science here, I am 99.99% sure that for 99.99% of you, 
There are other improvements that you can make, and you do not need to give this one iota of your negative energy or frustration. So I am not here to tell you to eat coconut oil. I'm not here to tell you that it's a miracle food and you should bathe in it and eat it by the spoonful on the daily. I won't tell you to avoid olive oil or to eat a high-fat diet or a low-fat diet, right? I think with many things, with most things, the truth is in the middle and everybody is different. There was a time when I felt better on higher fat and lower protein, and there are times when I feel better on higher protein and more moderate fat. I know I don't feel great on low fat. I know I don't feel great on high carb, but too much fat isn't a good thing, and neither is too little. We can overdo anything. And when we are looking for these hard and fast black and white answers, we're ignoring all the improvements we have the power to make now, and we are ignoring the common sense approach of, hey, how can I do a little bit better for my body today? That is always there. So let's start at the beginning. On June 15th, And if you're listening to this way into the future, I'm talking about 2017. So June 15, 2017, the catalyst for all of these headlines, which I think, again, were meant to make you click on them, was a presidential advisory released by the American Heart Association. It was basically a statement, a position paper, and it was not about coconut oil. It was about saturated fat versus polyunsaturated fat and heart disease. Now, coconut oil is a trendy saturated fat, so the media and the blogosphere grabbed what would make the most interesting headline. The bottom line of this presidential advisory was eat less saturated fat, replace your saturated fat with polyunsaturated fats, and that will lower your risk of heart disease. Now, here's what a lot of people miss because they just read the headlines and skim the summaries. And that's not a criticism. Most people are not researchers or experts in the topic, and they're not going to go to the data and the science. The important thing that a lot of people missed is this statement from June 15th did not stem from new research. There was no new research that delivered this conclusion from the American Heart Association. They reiterated the same thing they've been saying since the 1960s, and they did it based on a review of four older studies, okay? No new research. That's important, so just remember that. Stick with me here. There's been a lot of research on saturated fat and heart disease versus polyunsaturated fat, and they reviewed four of those past studies, Now, we're going to talk about those studies, and they are what I think, like, really interesting and fascinating. Let's just get on the same page about what we're talking about here in terms of saturated fat and unsaturated fat. I know it can be confusing, and the terms all seem so similar, polyunsaturated, monounsaturated, saturated. Saturated fat can come from plants and animals, all right? Animal sources of saturated fat, largely your meat products, your dairy products. If we're talking about the marbling in a steak, that's going to be saturated fat. Uh, If we're talking about heavy cream, we're talking about a saturated fat primarily. But there's also plant sources of saturated fat, like avocado and coconut oil. Now, much of the research we're going to be talking about today treats these as the same thing. I argue that they are not, because while if we isolate the fat in, say, a steak or heavy cream, 
and the fat in an avocado and coconut oil, it might look the same in terms of its composition. But obviously, there are many other things that are included in that. And what I'm getting at is a diet that is, let's say, high in, because that's the term that a lot of the research uses, high in saturated fat. It's very different if we're talking about a diet that is very steak dominant versus a diet that is avocado or coconut dominant. We cannot treat all saturated fats the same. We shouldn't. And we cannot and shouldn't treat all polyunsaturated fats the same. They are very, very different. Much of the research treats them the same. And I think that's part of the problem. Some of it doesn't. And we will talk about that. But I just wanted to make it clear what we're talking about when we're talking about saturated fat. We're not just talking about butter and cheese. We can also be talking about coconut, which is why coconut oil gets lumped in there. And with unsaturated fats, we're not just talking about olive oil. We're also talking about soybean oil, canola oil, corn oil, etc. All right. So I just wanted to get everybody on the same page there in terms of what we're talking about with saturated and polyunsaturated And I've done a couple of episodes on those, which I will make sure to link to in the show notes if you want more of a background primer on saturated fat and unsaturated fat. So the position of the American Heart Association has not changed. All right. Saturated fat, they say, increases the risk of heart disease. Polyunsaturated fat decreases it. All right. So what they did in this statement that they made on June 15th, 2017, was they looked at some of the studies related to swapping out saturated fat for polyunsaturated fat and what then happens to heart disease risk factors, okay? They excluded studies that were too small because the results wouldn't be statistically significant. Makes sense. They excluded studies that were too short. They only looked at studies that were longer than two years in duration, makes a lot of sense. They argue that it takes a couple of years to really see a true change in blood lipids that reflects dietary intake over time. They excluded studies that could not prove adherence. So basically, if you had to fill out a food journal, they would exclude that because they can't prove that you ate what you said you ate or as much as you said you ate. So totally legit there. They excluded studies that were not well-designed and had flaws that would basically make their conclusions questionable at best. And they excluded studies that had what are called confounding variables. For example, the AHA said in this statement that they did not include studies that looked at replacing saturated fat with polyunsaturated fat and carbohydrates because the carbohydrate would be considered a confounding variable. When you look at the results, you wouldn't be able to say definitively, well, did the result come from the fat substitution or the difference in carbohydrates? So that's what confounding variables means. Okay. So if a study had a confounding variable, they would eliminate it. Makes sense. I agree with that. The studies that they looked at, again, not new research. These are older studies that they just reviewed and made a statement on. They had to meet criteria that they were big enough in sample size, long enough, greater than two years, well-designed, and had no confounding variables. They wanted to look at studies that were comparing a high-saturated fat diet versus a high-polyunsaturated diet with proven adherence. 
And their assessment was that the four studies they showed met these criteria and demonstrate that saturated fat increases your risk of heart disease and uh, replacing saturated fat with polyunsaturated fat is going to decrease your risk of heart disease. So since all of this came out uh, towards the end of June, I've been reading a lot of the commentaries. I've also been going and looking at much of the research that was cited, and I've been listening to some experts give their opinion on this. And by experts, I typically mean medical doctors with a research background. I do not have a research background. Well, I'm not a medical doctor either, but uh, I don't have a research background. And so while, you know, doing my undergrad studies in nutrition and whatnot, we certainly did a fair amount of research review. I'm not an expert. So I went to the experts and I didn't want opinions. I wanted to understand the data. One of the best reviews of the data that I've come upon in the past few weeks was from Dr. Chris Masterjohn. It is deep and it is technical. And you guys know me, I like to keep things really simple and common sense because I just don't think we need to get all that lost in the weeds. But for those of you that love the weeds, I will link to um, Dr. Masterjohn's review of all of the research over in the show notes. Okay, so I want to take a couple of minutes more than a couple probably, to talk about the four studies that the American Heart Association is basing their assertion on. The criteria for review being long enough, big enough, no confounding variables, proven adherence, those are all great. I I completely agree. The challenge is they didn't follow their own rules. When you look at the research that they used, there are serious issues with the four studies that they Selected, but don't take my word for it. I know you guys think that I'm like all fat all the time. I'm not. That's not real. I really follow a much more moderate fat diet. But anyway, don't take my word for it either way. I'm just going to share the facts about the research and you decide. Let's start with the largest of the four studies that they used, which was the Finnish Mental Hospital study. Now, it's important to note that it was the largest because when we are doing a meta-analysis or a review of, of research, the larger the study, the greater the weight of the outcome. So since this was the largest of the four, its results were the most significant in terms of the conclusion that the AHA made. In fact, this study accounted for about 30% of the weight of the data that gave them this conclusion. So this Finnish mental hospital study ran from late 1950s to the early 1970s. Okay, so again, not new data. The AHA says that this study was randomized. It was not, which is a problem with the data. But we don't even need to get lost in that because there's a more significant issue with this study. Chris Masterjohn, Dr. Chris Masterjohn, goes into great details on why they called it randomized and why it's not. If you are a research geek, you might enjoy that. I don't think it's really necessary for understanding the issue with this Finnish mental hospital study. The good thing about this study, I will say, is that it was long. You were on one diet, high in polyunsaturated fatty acids, uh, for six years, and then on another diet, high in saturated fat, for six years. And the patients were inpatients. They were like residing in the uh, mental hospital. So you're able to control. It's not like people who go home every night and they're sneaking M&Ms and whatnot and not telling you. So that is a good thing. And this study concluded 
that replacing saturated fat with polyunsaturated fat reduces heart disease risk by 30%. 3-0. That's a big freaking number. However, remember this study ran from the late 1950s until the early 1970s. After the results were published, new research showed that the common antipsychotic drug used by these hospitals, because they were comparing groups in two different hospitals, the antipsychotic drug that was being used at times throughout this study was later shown to cause heart disease. So wait, we're looking at an intervention that is measuring the impact of a particular type of fat on heart disease, but the people in the study, not all of them, but some of the people in the study were being administered an antipsychotic drug that afterwards was shown to cause heart disease, okay? When researchers went back and looked at the data after the fact, the incidence of heart disease correlated when, with when this drug was being administered, and that drug was not controlled for. So that kind of really matters. That is a major flaw in the data because at the time that wasn't known and it wasn't controlled for. And what I mean by that is it's not like they were looking at the results individual by individual. And so they could compare and contrast heart disease just among people who were not on this antipsychotic drug. They were comparing this group at this hospital on this diet to this group at this hospital on that diet. So they were not able to control for that drug. Make sense? Okay. That kind of matters. The next study that the American Heart Association based their statement on was the Oslo Diet Heart Study. You will remember how I said one of the criteria the American Heart Association used in deciding which studies were valid and which ones weren't was that it was going to eliminate studies that had any confounding variables. The example that they used was adding carbohydrate in addition to polyunsaturated fat. Makes a lot of sense, right? Let's look at the intervention group in the Oslo Diet Heart Study that was one of the four they used. The intervention was to replace saturated fat with polyunsaturated fat. So far, so good. But wait, there's more. So the intervention was replace saturated fat with polyunsaturated fat and restrict margarine intake and increase intake of fruits and vegetables and increase intake of fish, and they distributed to the participants free sardines canned in cod liver oil. So which one of those is not a confounding factor? Um, yeah. But wait, there's more. The two groups had the same number of heavy smokers at the beginning, but by the end, the saturated fat group had twice the number of heavy smokers than they did at the beginning. And the saturated fat group had more overweight people in the end. So either people in that saturated fat group started smoking or they were smoking more. But they were also eating less fruits and vegetables, less fish, not having sardines. So there's so many other variables from smoking and body weight and fruits and vegetables, fish, less margarine, because that's not a quality food, and sardines as well. Might those things might have been a factor? Seems like by the American Heart Association's very own criteria, 
this should have been omitted because of confounding variables. Never mind flaws in design. Okay, another one. The LA Veterans Administration Hospital study. Eight years long and double blind, which you don't have to be a research geek here. It just is a indicator of good design, right? So far, so good. Plus, they were inpatients, which, as I mentioned, easier to control. That's great. The patients were randomly assigned to one of two dining halls. What I love about this study is the dining halls each served the exact same meals, except one used saturated fats and the other used polyunsaturated fats. Okay. When or what we see at first glance when we look at the data is that heart disease decreased in the group containing the polyunsaturated fats. So lower your risk of heart disease with polyunsaturated fats is what we see at first glance. But what's interesting is that despite heart disease being more of an issue with the saturated fat group, mortality was the same between the groups. So what happened? Did something else go wrong with the unsaturated fat group other than heart disease? We have to ask those questions. And the answer is yes. In the polyunsaturated group, cancer went way up. But we only see that after five years. And there's a reason for that. And this increase in cancer was not seen in the saturated fat group. I want to talk about the, the cancer thing specifically here in a minute. But before I do, there's another thing. So heart disease went up in the saturated fat group, but cancer went down. Mortality stayed the same. Here's where we get nuanced. This was a smaller study, only about 1,000 people. The saturated fat group had two times as many heavy smokers and 60% more moderate smokers than the unsaturated fat group. So... The polyunsaturated group had more non-smokers and light smokers versus heavy smokers than the saturated fat group. But even with twice as many heavy smokers and 60% more moderate smokers, cancer risk went down in the uh, saturated fat group relative to the polyunsaturated group. There is a major factor here, not just with smoking, but oxidative stress right? Oxidative stress from smoking, oxidative stress from polyunsaturated fats. That is a major factor. And if you want to geek out on the oxidative stress thing, remember when I talk about um, cooking with polyunsaturated fats and how you really want to minimize heat damage there because they oxidize and then those oxidized or more unstable fats get incorporated at the cellular level. And then when ha what happens is you have instability at the cellular level, which is really the starting point for cellular disease known as cancer, right? So Chris Masterjohn goes into a lot of detail about oxidative stress from smoking and vitamin E and fat and whatnot, but I don't think we need to dive that deep here, especially because there's so much I want to cover. But again, I'll link to um, Chris Masterjohn's uh, information in the show notes. But I want to make a potentially bigger point. When you look at the data, all, all of the heart disease death in the study occurred in those who were smokers and who were smokers who smoked more than 10 cigarettes per day. Okay, 
So not only do we see the heart disease death being related to smoking heavily, and all of the heart disease death in the study occurring, all of it, in those who were smokers who smoked more than 10 cigarettes a day, we also see that the polyunsaturated group, despite having fewer uh, heavy smokers and more non-smokers, cancer went up. Again, this makes sense when we look at the instability of polyunsaturated fats and what that means at the cellular level. Okay, only one more of the four that the American Heart Association, uh, the studies that the American Heart Association felt was good enough to include, and that is the Medical Research Council study. This one is really kind of different in a couple of ways. The intervention was to replace saturated fat with one particular unsaturated fat, soybean oil. So we are not really looking at unsaturated fat versus saturated fat. We're looking at soybean oil, which is one of the most unique unsaturated fats. And I, coming from obesity and polycystic ovarian syndrome and all sorts of hormonal challenges, I'm not going near soybean oil with a 10-foot pole. So I'm not advocating soybean oil consumption here. You can check out my episodes I've done on soy. But compared to other polyunsaturated fats, soybean oil is different. So this Medical Research Council study, the intervention was replacing saturated fat with just soybean oil. Here's what's fascinating to me. Not only was it replace your saturated fat with soybean oil, they had to drink at least half of their soybean oil daily uncooked. Remember, where does the damage come from in large part? The cooking process. And they weren't cooking with it. The saturated fat group wasn't told how to prepare theirs, right? And it was interesting, random aside, in response to my VIP email the other day, somebody said, when do you or why do you recommend coconut oil over olive oil? And I was like, generally speaking, if you're cooking with it, coconut oil, because it's more stable, it's not going to oxidize the same way that olive oil will when you heat it. But if we're talking salad dressing, I think there's a time and a place for olive oil because there are certain benefits there. So they minimize the oxidative damage there. There's another thing, a couple more things actually, that is so unique about soybean oil. I've talked in my fat episodes before about how these polyunsaturated fats tend to be higher in the pro-inflammatory omega-6 fatty acids and lower in the omega-3 anti-inflammatory fatty acids. So when we look at polyunsaturated fats, we usually see a high amount of omega-6s which are pro-inflammatory, and a low amount of omega-3s. Interestingly, soybean oil is unique in that it is much lower in the omega-6s, those pro-inflammatory ones, than many other uh, polyunsaturated fats. Inflammation is one of the primary drivers of heart disease. But wait, there's more. Soybean oil is also high, very high actually, in something that is naturally heart protective, and that is coenzyme Q10. Lots of people who are concerned about heart health do what? They take CoQ10. So these are very important factors when we look at what was going on here. Yeah, they were replacing saturated fat with polyunsaturated fat, but just one. And they were not cooking with most of it. They were told to drink it without cooking it. And this particular one doesn't have what many other omega-6, I'm sorry, polyunsaturated fats have in that high omega-6 content. And it has something that most other polyunsaturated fats don't have, and that is CoQ10. 
I don't think that these four studies that they used are all that conclusive. And some people would argue that they actually make a case for saturated fat. I'm not saying that. I'm just sharing the facts. I think you're smart enough to draw your own conclusions. I also want to mention, and I shared this in the Sunday VIP email, the financial backing of the American Heart Association. Because in anything, this is not me picking on the American Heart Association, there is a real need that we have as consumers to look at the money behind the message. For example, when a protein shake company puts out information that says we need to have protein right before bed or we need to have X many grams upon waking, do we think that they might have a financial motive to curate information that might be a little bit biased to sell something? This is undoubtedly true with the American Heart Association. Much of their money comes from food companies. And in addition to that, you can purchase as a big brand from the American Heart Association that little heart healthy seal that we see on packaging. That's not free. Companies pay for that. And what kind of foods have purchased that seal? Orange juice, V8, Honey Nut Cheerios. What do those things have in common? They're low-fat, high-carb companies. In addition to being low-fat and high-carb, they're also high-margin, meaning there is a lot of financial interest in these messages. So I'm not going to get political here, but my point is, look at the money behind the message. At the end of the day, is it possible to eat too much saturated fat? Yeah, just like it's possible to eat too much fruit and too much chicken and too much anything. But do I think that you're better off eating margarine and soybean oil than avocado and coconut? No. No. We just need to look at what our body responds best to. And I think in all things, we can come down to the simple advice of eat real food, don't eat too much of it, and pay attention to your body. If we are nailing those three things, then we can start to get into the weeds with some of these nuances. But 90% of us haven't nailed eat real food, don't eat too much of it, and pay attention to our bodies. So I don't think we need to get all that worked up about the nuances. I just don't. Eat real food, don't eat too much of it, and pay attention to your body. I'm going to link up to especially this Chris Masterjohn resource for those of you that really want to geek out on the science. I don't think you necessarily need to unless you are at the point where you've really honed in a whole foods diet. You're not overeating. You're not undereating. You're not totally in love with one macronutrient at the discount of the others and you're paying attention to your body. Okay, fine. Maybe you need to fine tune a little bit based on the science. Dive into it by all means. But for everybody else, use your energy on what you can do now that is an improvement from your baseline. Before we say goodbye and you head over and check out those links over on Primal Potential, I want to remind you that for the next few days, the 12-week summer fat loss fast track is open. Registration is open now. We kick off on July 9th. I would imagine registration will close within the next few days. To get more info, either listen to episode 352 of the podcast, or you can head right over to primalpotential.com forward slash summer one seven. I'll wrap up with uh, an email that I got from one of my clients who's wrapping up her fat loss fast track just this weekend. She said, thank you for being you. 
I've learned so much in our time together and will just continue to build upon everything and the momentum I have. I'm one of your biggest fans and you are truly gifted and I appreciate you more than you'll ever know. I wish you continued success in all of your endeavors, blah, 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 blah. On a quick side note, while I init- I didn't mean blah, 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 like it's not important, but I wanted to get to this part. On a quick note, while initially I began wanting to lose weight, I quickly learned how I was focusing on all the wrong things to make and create lasting change. I have never had so much understanding of how important mindset is and how this is truly the foundation on which to build my life. I am more aware and in tune with my choices than I ever have been, and I'm really loving it. I feel a sense of calm and peace that I've longed for for so many years, and the clarity I have is incredible. I'm not on autopilot with my choices, but they are very well thought out, and I own them and the consequences with each one I make. By doing this, I actually ended up losing 29 pounds through this process, even with the ups and challenging weeks. Yes, that's great, but I'm more excited about my mindset and everything that is coming from the tools you teach. I believe in me, and I thank you for showing me the way to do this. I've had some great successes on your program, and best of all, I finished and gave it my all, even when I didn't want to do the work, and even when I struggled, this girl did not quit. So much for the quick part, LOL. I wish you all the best. I would love to have the chance to work with you this summer in the 12-week Fat Loss Fast Track. So head over to the show notes page for this episode or listen to episode 352 of the podcast or go to primalpotential.com forward slash summer17. Talk to you soon. Make it a great day. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Primal Potential Podcast, where my goal is not to inform you, but to transform you. And if you would like to receive free motivation and strategy and recipes, workouts, meal ideas every week right to your inbox, just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. It's a great way to get the tools, the strategies, and the practical implementation assistance that you need to create your own transformation between podcast episodes. Just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. See you there.